Welcome to Talking Through, episode 10 with Jack Hale and James Foxy Slade. We would like to thank Ricky for coming on the podcast and we would also like to thank him for his services to the country. You can find him on TikTok at Ricky underscore pet. And we're live. Thanks for coming on, Ricky. Can you first off tell us a bit about yourself? Yeah, so I'm uh, obviously my name's Ricky. Uh, I served 12 years in the army. Uh, initially, well, I joined up as Green Howards initially. Um, and then basically, when I was in training, we, um, well, basically, I was too young to go to my unit when I passed out of training. And they were in Northern Ireland at the time. So I basically was looking at other options I could go just because I was in the recruiting, uh, recruiting team. And so basically, I decided I wanted to go drive because I thought, oh, that'll be good to get the drive, get all my licenses and get to get based at Catrick and come home every weekend. And that was all I was thinking about was getting home. Um, but then I went on to go on to be a driver. And then I, one day I was on a course at Leconsfield, like driving course. And I, I seen there's some trucks with blue lights on. I thought, I'd like to have a go on blue lights. Like, what's the crack with that? So I looked into it and found out it was bomb disposal. And so I looked into going bomb disposal. Um, and it was pure luck that I got, I got, posted to an EOD unit, got to do my number two operator course, which was basically, within EOD, you've got two, two well, it's mainly a two-man team in the UK, and you've got your number one and your number two operator. So your number one is a senior rank, which is like a sergeant or above, and he'll, he's basically in charge of the job, he's the boss. There's a number two, which I, what I was, I'm the robot operator, so I'd drive the wagon and I would then use the robot, send it down the road to basically get eyes on with the, the device or whatever it is. And with, with the robot, I've obviously got, you've got things you can take shots on things, you can take cuts on wires, you can pretty much, you've got like a manipulator so you can pull things apart, you can literally tear a car apart with it. Um, and that's basically the number two's job. And also, you, you would put the boss in his suit, so like you'd suit him up. After you've, the idea is, the better I do with my job, the less he has to do when he puts the suit on. So ideally, if I've done my job properly, he'll then just walk down the road, pretty much try and get as much forensic evidence as he can and put the bits in a forensic bag and come back up. That's the, that's the idea. Um, so yeah, that's, that's pretty much my background. So what was it that, that made you want to go in in the first place, like all together? Um, to be honest with you, from a young age, my dad was always dead keen on the army. He never joined himself, but he was proper just interested in the army. So he, I was brought up with, I know it sounds daft and stupid, like, but watching war films, you know, watch, and he had loads of books, like literature, and I used to look at all the pictures. And I remember my dad teaching me all about the Gurkhas and everything, and I've learned so much as a kid. And I just remember thinking, I want to go in the army. And I always remember at school saying, I want to go in the army. And people were like, oh, I want to go in the army for and get shot and all that kind of stuff. But there was no wars on, obviously, when I joined. I joined 2001, September 2001. And there was nothing going on apart from Northern Ireland. And But I would, kind of wanted to go there just because I, I, that was the only thing going on. So I wanted to get, you know, get out there and experience it. Cause I'd only ever seen it growing up as, as a kid on telly. Um, so, I, yeah, I, I volunteered straight from train to go to Northern Ireland. Once, well, obviously, I couldn't initially when I was at Green Howards, but then once I was RLC driver, I went out there as a as a driver, and that that was pretty pretty cushy little job. We used to um, so basically, primarily we used to pick up troops would come into the airport. We'd go pick them up, but because because of the situation in Northern Ireland, we couldn't just use coaches and stuff like that. So we'd have 
civilian looking vehicles so we'd pick them up put them in the back of the wagon so that no one had know were soldiers in there we were dressed in civvies carrying um nine millies and all that and we'd have chase cars which have troops in the back of the cars all dressed in civvies to get them to their base and then um and then also during the the ops period we'd call it when the parades and everything were on we would do the saxon um vehicles armored vehicles um basically a big massive armored vehicle that had big like wings that could deploy so we could like close streets off and stuff like that and then we'd have the infantry lads in the back and then we could deploy the infantry lads on the ground so yeah that and i've completely dive, diverse of what i was saying there but yeah so basically it was just something i was dead keen on doing and obviously that's why i joined at such a young age at 16. Well, I'll go into your serving in, in Northern Ireland because I've seen it on your TikTok and I know you went in at such a young age, but what was that like? Was it scary, intimidating, or did you take it in your stride? You know, one thing that was weird about, about Northern Ireland is because it's it's not like anywhere else because it's 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 just it's just like back home, it's just like here. It's exactly the same as being in, in, in your hometown um, and everyone's speaking English, and so it was it was a surreal experience to have that that. Like, I don't know, it's just, weird, it's just weird being around your own people who were who the same culture as, as us. Obviously, the difference between going to places like Iraq and Afghanistan is a completely different culture. But it's, it's just like, imagine being an armoured vehicle driving around your hometown. That's what it felt like. It was just a surreal, a surreal feeling being in that environment. Um, but it wasn't, it wasn't scary. I quite, I quite enjoyed Northern Ireland. It was actually a really good place. I loved, I loved Belfast. It was lovely. Do you know what? I wanted, to, I wanted to go there because I wanted to experience like doing your job for real. You know, like rather than you, you've done all your basic training, you've done all that, you want to actually feel, feel what it's like to do your job properly rather than just train. So it was an exciting experience. I was a bit nervous, obviously. Uh, just well, I hadn't even turned eighteen. It was about a month before my eighteenth birthday, and I flew out, and I was a bit like, "What the hell?" Like it was pretty scary. You know, I'm still a kid. I'm not, it wasn't even eighteen. I wasn't even to drink. I'm, I'm making a flight to to go like an operational tour. Um, but obviously I wasn't allowed to leave base until I was 18. But um, it, it, to be honest, it, the actual job wasn't scary. I think the most scariest thing was going to my first unit and um, meeting all these hairy ass men, if you like. And I was just, like, just a young young boy. Uh, and the first thing I did, I remember going into four man room full of three blokes, you know, fully blown blokes, about 25 year old, and I'm only 17. And I just threw my bag down, like, right, get to the bar. I was straight in the bath for like getting getting trashed with them really, uh, but it was still quite a scary experience. But when the actual job was was good, I enjoyed it. Um, however, in two thousand and four, the White Rock Parade got cancelled. It was a big big thing, and the route got diverted or something like this, and and it caused absolute havoc. And basically, the police tried to deal with it as much as they can until the point it got so bad they have to get the army in, and then we 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 got deployed, and it was absolute carnage. Like it was, we're getting. The petrol bombs was was uh, just getting everything thrown at us. When I got when the vehicle got back to camp, I had shopping trolleys, I had all sorts. It was like and pink paint. I think they're all pink paint just to try and make it so you've got to repaint the vehicle and just silly things like that, you know, because they can't damage it because it's armoured. So, but yeah, it was that was and that was my last week in Northern Ireland. All that happened. So it was like I thought I'd had a fairly peaceful bit of time, and suddenly, like my last week, it all kicked off. <laughs> You said about being around like men, and do you think that helps you in the long run with like the experience you have and the guidance that people bring to you? Well, do you know what? Like they, they all used to think I was older because the way I used to act, and even though I thought I was quite immature, but you've obviously the well, I think going into that environment so young, being 
thrown in at 17, well, just about to turn 18, around all these older blokes. You have to kind of, you can't be that immature kid anymore because you're around, you're trying to fit in with these lads, do you know what I mean? Or men. So, it, yeah, it, 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 was, it was good and it got my confidence up, definitely. Because when I was at school, I was a dead shy, timid, timid lad. And the, the army brought it, brought it out in me, like, to be confident. And then I, I went to I deployed to Iraq at 18 as well. Um, from Northern Ireland, I went straight to Iraq at 18. Yeah, so, so we'll talk about Iraq in a minute. But you said then about going straight to the bar. What's the what's like the rules with that on the army? Because obviously the people in charge know how old you are. Yeah, you've got to be 18. However, because it was Northern Ireland, everyone there was 18. So they wouldn't... It's just that pure... Because I got sent three or four weeks before my birthday, they just assumed because you're in Northern Ireland, you had to be 18 to, to, to deploy. So they just assumed I was 18, so I got away with it. But no, the lads who I was with were only like Lance Jackson Corporals, they're not going to dob me in. And at this, we're talking what, two thousand, we're talking 19 years ago, do you know what I mean? It's not as strict as it is now, do you know what I mean? Like now you can't get away without ID and stuff. But back then, we weren't bothered about ID. Yeah, I've tried myself, I've got to be honest with you. But um, what, I to, what I wanted to say is, you said about your dad giving you positive feedback on going into the army. Well, did anyone, was anyone against it or was they all for it, really? Oh, well, for it, right, because when I was in basic, right, I was, I, there were times when I just didn't want to be there. I went to the Army Foundation College at Harrogate, so it was 42 weeks training. It was a long old time, and I remember, I, may, I remember phoning home every single night, I used to phone home, 16-year-old, used to phone home, speak to my mum every night, you know what I mean, like home sick, I'll admit. And I used to phone home, and I'd be like, I don't want to be here, I don't want to be here. And then my mum was like, oh, do you know what mothers are like? I was like, oh, you don't have to, you quit if you want, you don't have to. And then my dad would speak to me and he'd say, so you're a failure, you can't hack it. And I was like, and then I wanted to prove him wrong because I'm glad he did, because if he didn't, I would have just gone, because my mum was so, you're welcome home. My dad's like, I tried to tell all my friends you were a failure and you couldn't hack it and all that. So my dad was the thing that kept me going and, and made me do it. What do, you, what do you think you would have done if you'd have come home and not, not gone at all? What do you think? I don't know. I think I'd probably try to get in the police or the fire brigade. It's some at uniform because I just feel that that was my, do you know what I mean? I, I kind of like a, something that's got a bit of go about it, do you know what I mean? Because even now I've gone on to do like a close protection, uh, like security, and I, I do a bit of door work and stuff like that. Just because something with a bit of, so you've got a bit of action, do you know what I mean? Rather than just being an office job. What is it, what is it like doing door work? Um, it's all right. I, I enjoy it, mate. It's just a bit of, bit of fun. You you just, you know, you're getting paid to be there and socialising. And obviously, yeah, now and again, you've got to break up a scuffle. Do you know what I mean? You're, and the only downside is you get the worst people are the ones who stand at the door after you kick them out. And they stand at the door just going, ah, just, you, you don't know who, my, who we're messing with, all this crap. And they say, just wait, just watch what's going to happen. And you just, you stand there. Nothing ever happens, but they just, they threaten you and stand there for about an hour just talking your head off. <laughs> but no, it's all right. It doesn't bother me, but honestly, yeah. Get used to it after a bit. Yeah, we've we've obviously had a few experiences with because I've I've only just turned eighteen like last month and he's not eighteen yet, so trying to get yeah. it. Yeah, trying to sneak in. Too tough these days, mate. Awesome. No, no, we've done it. We've got away with it a couple of times, though. To be fair, um, <laughs> like when you went there and stuff. But yeah, you don't have you don't have much yeah, success. It's hard. I remember remember once we like. <laughs> I mean, I'm not sure I'm allowed to really say this, but we hid in the toilets. For yeah, so the, 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 there was a bar in in like town where we are, and the bouncers it opened at like seven, and the bouncers come on at like about nine. Nine, we got in, we got so in, we went in half eight, 
and we met this the, this family and they were on a what was they were on a stag, a stag. Yeah. <laughs> and we told them what we were doing because we said we obviously can't come out now because they'll just kick us out so they were just bringing us pints after pints after pints and i, I was I was 16, he was 17 at the time, and we couldn't hold these pints, and you didn't want to, like, let them down. <laughs> so we're doing these pints, and then we stood over the toilet, and nearly being sick, but it was a bit of an, um, a mad experience. <laughs> <laughs> Quality. What, what I did want to ask you was about... Um, so you're going to ask something. Uh, the recruitment policy in the army, and is it brought in a way of accuracy or is it not very accurate what do you mean like the recruitment videos and stuff yeah yeah i don't know because obviously it's changed a lot since since matt when i when i joined the recruitment videos were a bit more action-packed and like and they were quite think oh yeah that looks like if you look back on youtube at some of the old recruiting videos from like the late 90s slash early 2000s they were quite action-packed and now it's all about well you've seen that one with the snowflakes your army needs you and and all this malarkey and saying oh so you're, you're sitting playing your computer game all night so that means you've got stamina so you should join the army and it's it's clever what they're doing because they're trying to because they know that the generations change and they're trying to target these people who think oh, I, I wouldn't be no good for the army but but actually they're saying if you they need a snowflakes because of their compassion and they need people who can sit up and play their xbox all night because because they've got stamina and stuff like that so it's clever what they're doing but if you're talking about video, I don't know, you're always going to make it, when you watch a video for recruitment, it's always going to try to appeal to you. So they're trying to make it interesting and they're not just going to show day-to-day boring routine either. So yeah, yeah, it's true. What the, it is true to the stuff that they put, but it doesn't mean every day is going to be like that. You know what I mean? Yeah, you, you mentioned before about um, going to Afghan and stuff. What was what was that like, like the build-up to that? Because obviously, like you said, Northern Ireland completely different. It, it's round the corner. Oh, yeah, well, it's it well like going to Iraq was going eighteen year old to Iraq I was and and I deployed as an individual straight from Northern Ireland because I volunteered again. They the basically the sergeant major said right we need once I made someone said that we need a volunteer for Iraq and loads has volunteered and I was the youngest in the regiment. I know I just just turned eighteen not long before and I remember in Northern Ireland you have to shoot on the range I think every six weeks or four weeks I can't remember you have to shoot often to make sure you're on point where you're shooting and I remember coming off the range and I had my weapon and I was walking past that major and I said oh sir and he said I said all right and I said yeah he said uh you better have done good on the ranges today and I was like why is that sir he said because you're going to Iraq in in April or whatever and I was like what and I was like and then I was absolutely buzzing you know I was like get in and uh so I was like I mean I was having dreams about it because I was that like, excited I know it sounds stupid but that's what you know I wanted to to do, experience it because um, before I was thinking, am I going to miss out on this? And it's going to be nothing else is going to happen in my army career, and I'm, not, I'm never going to go nowhere. And um, and, I, and and so anyways, I remember I had to go to Chilwell near Nottingham, or in Nottingham, to to do my pre-deployment training, which is where the reservists do theirs. But because I'd come straight, I wasn't deployed as a unit; I was deployed as an individual. I had to go there and got issued all my desert kit. Cause back then it was the yellowy desert stuff. Uh, got issued my desert kit and all my body armor and all that, oh no, I didn't get body armor, sorry, got all my kit apart from body armor, and that's when I rocked up to, uh, got into Fruit and Bryce Norton, we landed in Qatar, and from Qatar we were in, a, like it was a tactical, tactical flight, because obviously you're coming in and obviously you could get shot at basically the plane, so you got into a Herc, and it, the Herc was a tactical landing, I remember it coming down, 
and it was so painful. You have a, you have a defense on because it's that loud, the engine. But I remember my head felt like it was going to explode because it was like 100 times worse than when you land a normal um, a normal plane. It literally must come down almost vertical. It was like, it was honestly, my head felt like it was going to explode. It was awful. Anyways, we got landed, got out into Basra, Basra Airport and I was waiting for someone to meet me. I was thinking someone's going to meet me here. Obviously, it was a military-controlled airport. There was no civilians in there. Um, and then I remember the this this papers went. Oh, what's your name? And then they went. Oh, yep, your name your name's here. Um, and then put said right, yeah, you're with us. And my name wasn't on that list. They just said it. And then they just got in this vehicle with these. They were the worst soldiers, obviously. They were because they got in this vehicle with these lads. And I remember getting in, and I didn't have any body armor. And I was like, do I need body armor? It's like, oh no, it's all right. You'll get some of it, okay? And they all had the body armor on, had the weapons and. Um, and, the, and I was like, and I was just sat in the back. It was nighttime. And I'm like looking around. I'm thinking it was like it was almost like the M1, but no traffic. It was like three lanes, but not no traffic. I'm thinking this must be like a green zone, you know, like a secure zone. But I mean, they're all there with rifles, like pointing out the window. And I'm thinking this is we're out, we're out on the ground here, and I'm just like in this little bus. It wasn't even an armored vehicle. It was a little like mini, tiny little thin mini bus, like a sooty van. It was like a little mini bus with not no armor or nothing. And I'm thinking I'm here now. My weapon was still bundled because you've got to unbundle it and you have to zero it and everything. And I'm just sat there thinking, I'm on. And that was a bit of a, but yeah, if something happens here, I'm just going to be like, no weapon, no rounds. I was like, that was a bit scary, like, I'll admit. <laughs> but then it took me, it took me a few weeks to get, to get my body armor. I think it took about two weeks to get my body armor. And I remember we went to zero our weapons and jumped in the back of a four-tonner, uh, which is one of the big trucks, you know, the big canopies. And we're all jumping in the back of that. And again, I didn't have body armor. And they said, oh, you just sit in the middle. So I'm just sat in, like, all the lads lying in the back of the side of the wagon. I'm just sitting in the middle. Because that was my that was my protection. <laughs> that would never happen these days, though. This was this was the early days. We weren't very really well organised for for this particular conflict at the time. But obviously, by the time the last two were in Afghanistan, the the, the gear was so much more amazing. Uh, it it was well completely different. You, I've actually done a video on my on my channel. If you, you look at the equipment, like what it started like and what it is now, it's just unreal. Was that like a real eye open for you? And um, was probably the thing that set you up well for the future in the army would you say that was the most vital thing yeah well like, you come back everyone see the difference I, I, I put a, i was dead skinny as well when i first first joined and when i come back from iraq i put i'd beef out quite a bit and i'd, I'd obviously it, it does like going to places like iraq does change you and i remember coming back and everyone was like oh you've you've matured so much you just in six months i'd changed someone didn't even recognize me i'd put like because i'd beefed out and i'd changed the way i was some people didn't even recognise me. Some of my mates' mams. I went around, went to knock on my mates' mates' house. I just got literally got back in my hire car, and I went past my mates' house. And I was still in desert kit, and I, and I um, knocked on his door. And his mum didn't even recognise me. Only because I'm a name tag, she recognised me because I'm a name tag. That was the only reason. How so did, yeah. How did you find the mindset of being in the army? Like it's such a a high. I'm not sure what the word is, but high pressure job, shall I say? What was that like to have that much pressure on you? I think it was all right. You, 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 you train. So it's the whole, the whole thing with the army is when you join, the whole point in the being treated like a twat, really. But you get, you know, you get, you literally, you get, um, you get thrashed and you get brought. Well, the bottom says they break you down and rebuild you. So basically, it's just, it's, it, you get trained for that. And that's why, that's why a lot of the time they say, even just from the discipline in camp to having immaculate boots and immaculate creases and all that kind of stuff, 
is all down to if you can't look after yourself in perfect conditions where you've got running water, where you've got heating, where you've got electricity, you've got lighting, how the hell are you going to manage yourself when you're in the middle of a field and all you've got is you're trying to work under some tiny, like say, red lighting with, yeah. uh, with no hot water and no, if you can't, if you can't look after yourself, and that's why if someone doesn't shower and stuff when they're, they're in the block and the, the, the grots, what we call them, basically tramps, if they're like that in the accommodation, what would they be like in the field? The feet will be rotten, do you know what I mean? Yeah, that must that just must be great discipline to you. And I heard you have kids and do you pass the these same kind of messages on? And would you be interested in say, have you got a lad or have you just got a girl? I've got both. Would 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 you want him to go in the army in the future? I don't know, I don't think so. I don't I, I know it's not thing I have said this in one of my videos before. I don't think I would just because I feel just because of what's happened for me, like mental health wise, it, the army's good, but then I feel that although there's nothing on at the moment. I feel that even though I'm, I'm, I love it and I do it all again, I still feel that like su like suffering stuff, the mental health I do now, I wouldn't want my kids to have this. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Two so, things you said there about like we'll we'll talk about the mental health side of things as well. But the other thing you said was about there's, there's obviously not an happening at the minute. What what happens to to the people who are who, who are in the army now? Like what will they be doing day to day? Right, well, this, it all depends on what units you're from and stuff like that. So it really does depend for like, so for example, if, if, you, if, if you were from an armoured unit, you'd, you're obviously always maintaining your, the vehicles and there's, it's, it's, there's always things going on usually. Well, you're obviously, you're, you're always training. There's always exercises and training. There's maintaining vehicles. There's sport. There's PT. There's cleaning your weapons, there's range days, there's always something like going on. And if not, they might just send you to your room and go and play the Xbox or something. But you know, there's usually something for you to do in this shitty details where you might have to go, right, who's got the cat C jump in that truck and take this to bloody older shot or something, do you know what I mean? There's always there's always things going on. Yeah, I think you like, yeah, it's it's like people can't imagine. I think people just think like, oh, you're gonna be always away somewhere and you're always going to be yeah, a, lot, a lot of the youngsters obviously follow me i've got a lot of youngsters who were probably just early teens mid-teens and they they all think like what what do you do if you're not you're not fighting wars and it's like it's not it's not all like that it's like it's it's I, i've been quite if we call it lucky or unlucky i've been all I've, I've traveled a lot i've been like i've spent a lot of my time out of the country and 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 i've i've literally not spent much time in the uk i think all overall in my time in the army well true three i've probably spent four five years out of my career abroad you know whether it be six months cyprus six months iraq six months afghan northern Ireland. you know i've always been somewhere um and it's just kept me out because i always volunteered though because i always wanted to to i wanted to travel and i wanted to do my you know do as do as much as i can and that's why a lot of people sometimes look at me because i'm quite baby faced they'll look and go how have you got all the medals you don't look old enough you know and bear in mind i had all the medals by the time i was 28 and I'm 35 now. So people look at me and go, oh, them must be your granddads and stuff like that on Remembrance Sunday. And I'm like, no, they're mine. <laughs> yeah. Um, so you mentioned before about like not wanting um, your kids to go in like mental health and things like that. Do you think more needs to be done for, for soldiers coming out and, and veterans? Yeah, there's a lot more getting done now. But the, like, when, like say when I first, my first tour, they didn't, didn't even get decompression. I just got back and just went, I, I literally had a massive long flight jumped jumped in the car i went dropped my kit off handed my rifle in and then i was like uh went home and i had nothing and, and so it was it was hard to adjust from going from from a 
been contacted and the wars one to, to suddenly being back just suddenly by being back in your hometown it was near bonfire nights i remember all the fireworks and that going off and I, it was horrible i really did it was really and I, I was like on edge just, i was proper on edge and it was horrible but then now it, they're doing a lot more now when they're, they're trying to the, the, the army's recognized because of iraq and afghanistan it's left so many veterans and certain soldiers with ptsd uh, it's become they've realised how much of a big problem it's become, and so that they are doing a lot more now, like resilience training, all that kind of stuff, and than the, what they were they did when I was in. But it's it's it took it took so many years before a lot of lads realised they had it, and I didn't even know I had it until I, uh, like until after I come out, and it was only then that I, I started getting symptoms and suffering, and then actually did something about it. I was going to ask you then, you literally took the words out of my mouth. How long after, like, coming off the army, did you get medical attention? And I, or I didn't. I, initially, I did. When I first got back, I, I started suffering. So I, I, went to the, I went to the doctor and I, I ended up, I didn't, I just went to the doctor and she basically just gave me some sertraline and I was on this this stuff. And it's a common thing to give for PTSD and, and anxiety and stuff. They give me this and then I just, I was taking it for a while and I just stopped taking it. I, I, I can't really read. I just stopped taking it. And I come off it, and then I, I was doing all right, and I got a new job, and then I was kind of felt like I was doing all right. I was still suffering, suffering, but not as bad. And I was I was struggling on my own without help, and then it just started. I started getting really bad again, and then I was getting I was getting to the stage where I was getting like like I'm not proud to admit to it, but I was getting suicidal thoughts, and, I, and so I went, and that's when I knew I needed help. So I went to I went to like there's, there's a mental hospital near near us, and went and met there and got an assessment, and then they. They started like seeing me, and I had a crisis team used to come see me every day, and then started counselling and started medication, and I'm on medication counselling now, and then that's obviously helping. Do you? It might be a bit of a personal question, so don't answer it if you don't want to. But do you think it ever goes away that feeling of the the loss of fight, passion, whatever you want to call it? Does it ever go away the love for it? I yeah, I don't think it does because, like, say everyone who's everyone I know who, who suffers any mental health, they they say they do it all again, they do the whole career again, and they love the army. So you just can't help the. It's like, and like you say, it doesn't have to be too many people associate PTSD with military, but it's not. Like, say, it's like it's it's obviously it's a it's a upper head injury we call it sometimes, like a mental injury. But it's like if I broke my leg in Iraq and you broke your leg in your hometown, it doesn't make my broken leg worse than yours. It's just that mine was done in Iraq and yours was done in your hometown. It's still the same pain. It's just through different different cords. You know what I mean? And so people forget that PTSDs can be from from other other things. So it's not it doesn't change the fact that you 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 love the army, and that's why if I wouldn't talk about it if I didn't have a passion. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I think you, what you mentioned then about it, it might be a personal question or whatever. And obviously, a lot of people who've been in any armed force do get questions like that that you just shouldn't really ask people, and they're like insensitive. And I seen on your TikTok, you replied to someone, and they were they were really they were really young, I think you're about ten or so, and you replied to them yeah. saying, I, yeah, yeah, saying like you, you shouldn't really ask that. But does does that change? So if you'd have seen that it'd have been a grown man, does your response to people change? Yeah, probably. Well, that definitely because you've probably seen sometimes I respond. I might be a bit different, but. I try to look, if someone asks me a question and it's disrespectful, I try to look at the profile and if I can see they're young, I know that when I was a kid, I used to, the first thing I'd do if I met a soldier was, have you killed anyone and stuff like that. And it's a stupid question to ask, but when, when you're 10 or 11, you don't know that. You don't know it's a stupid question because you just think, oh, wow. Um, and that's what, like, that's what you do as a kid. But, and so that's why a lot of people, I got, look, I got, that, got a lot of views and a lot of uh, likes that because people were like, respect you for answering that question. You looked, you seen it as a kid. And you, instead of being, um, 
rude or anything. I just educated him. So I was polite about it and just said, look, said it's not a good question to ask because if someone, you know, and it, it's, it's, I, I've tried, I've tried, it's a good thing to educate kids as well because then they know and that could potentially stop them asking someone and triggering something for someone else. So actually it was a good, it was, it's good to educate them rather than trying to be rude because I, I don't, I'm not, I don't like to be rude. A lot of the time I'm only rude if someone's rude to me, do you know what I mean? I'm, I'm easy going and I like to be polite. I'm, I'm on that app to help people and try to give people an insight of real, real life, what the army's like, not, not trying to be a recruiter because I'm not getting paid for it. Like I'm, I'm not recruiting for the army. Like if someone joins, I don't care it's up to them, but I'm just answering honestly. I'd love to have someone to speak to like people like me and ask the questions. Cause if you ask a recruiter, they'll just be like, yeah, I'm the best. Yeah, yeah, it's brilliant. This and and because they're trying to get you in because to sign up, you know. Yeah, I think it's both educational things. And do you express like the downside as well as the good side? And if so, does anyone ever give you a personal message about going into the army or starting off? Come. Yeah, yeah. Like, I'll just be honest. Like, if you if you ask me a question and some if some shit, I'll tell you it's shit. I won't. I won't. I won't beat you around the bush. I'll if if I don't if I think so much bad about the army and you ask me a question i'll tell you how it is i'm not just i'm not sugarcoating the army yeah so yeah so i wouldn't sugarcoat anything so yeah because i've got like say i'm not i'm not recruited for the army so therefore i'll just tell it how it is do you know what i mean yeah i think um like like you said yeah you are like quite honest and stuff but obviously you have the i'm not sure what the actual art is but it's like the armed forces community or, or something like that. yeah that's our, new, that's our new project so me me and Nick have started this Armed Forces community page. Um, we're going to, we're basically, we've just recruited um, Gen Dick Commando. He's a Royal Marine, ex-Royal Marine Commando. We've got him. We've got another lad from the Royal Armoured Corps uh, who's still serving. We've got UK Infantry Vet Buck, who's um, ex-Infantry and PT Corps. We've got Nick, who's ex, I can't remember his role, but he was in the Navy. He was 20 years in the Navy. And, and we've got another lad who's ex-REF Regiment. And we've got another guy who's ex Royal Military Police Close Protection. So we've pretty much got a big, broad thing of the the whole forces community. What is so, what started first? Was it your personal page or the the whole? Me, yeah. I just started off on my own. I didn't even. I just started off because my daughter was on it and said, "Oh, um, Dad, join this." So I did just for a bit of a laugh. And then I did one video, and somehow someone I can't remember how we got onto the army subject. And then suddenly I got a question, asked the question at the army, answered it, and then another one came. And then before I knew it, my page was devoted to military content. And now that's that's just, and then I, that was my niche, you know, like I've discovered my niche on TikTok. And then it just started growing. And then I've been, and it's getting, it's growing faster and faster. Like now I've had like 5,000 new followers in like two days. It's just growing so fast. Yeah, I think you're on, you're on like 30k now, aren't you? I checked that before. I hit 30k today. And I think I've gained about another. Just today alone, I think I've got about 600 so far since since I did that video, which is only about a few hours ago. It's 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 smashing, smashing it. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's probably because you don't see many people who have been in the army who are in the army on TikTok. On, on it, yeah. It's probably really, really helpful and probably one of a few. And I think making that community idea is going to be really helpful for people. Oh yeah, and it's it's good because as well is that I've like I've made quite a few mates on there. Like I've done a few know. I didn't, I didn't realise I've served with him, but uh, Roy Smooth, he's he's on he's he's a big TikToker, he's about 160,000 followers, he's ex army, but he he does all things. He's a truck driver now, and he does all stuff about trucks and truck driving. But he followed me, and he he's, a, he's he only follows about 500 people, and he follows. You know, when you look at these big TikTokers and they're following me, I'm like, wow. When I've got the 
the winner of Britain's Got Talent, uh, 2016, the, the ex-army, oh, sorry, he's still serving. He's in the army and he was a magician, uh, an illusionist on Britain's Got Talent. And he follows me. And I've got, like, there's quite a few big TikTokers and I'm shocked. I'm like, I'm like you know, in the top end of 100 or 1,000 and they're following me and I'm like, I get in. Makes you feel good. <laughs> what is what is your aim with the community account? What what do you want to achieve with it? We, we want to, we want, eventually, we want to, it's, it's, well, it's obviously everything I'm doing now, but we want to organise charity events. We want to get, like, once all this COVID malarkey is out the way and do things for charity, for Armed Forces charities. We want to do things to get, get lads together who, who are, like, who've left the forces and wanted like get a load of ex-forces together and go to like climb mountains and do like do stuff like that to, to, to help and have that, have that comradeship again. Cause a lot of like, you leave the army and you haven't got that comradeship anymore. And a lot of people get, feel lost about it because you've gone from being with the lads and fe feeling like you have a meaning to suddenly being a civvy, not having that comradeship anymore and feeling worthless. So having that like team spirit and dip, like aiming for something. So say we, we knew we were going to climb a mountain, we're training for it. We're speaking to each other about it, getting ready for that big day. And then obviously, then in, not only is it good for us, we'll then make money and then obviously give the money to, to, to a mental charity or whatever charity we choose, you know? Is that what you still do now, like climb marathons or go on long distance runs? I, I used to do quite a bit. I used to do quite a lot of half marathons, and, but to do it like, with helmet, body armor, boots and stuff like that. So it was a bit more, a bit more of a... If you just say you run a marathon, it's just like... The, or a half marathon. But if you say you're doing it with something like with helmet, body armor, boots or whatever, it's a bit, well, a lot harder. It, it kills you. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's obviously both like just, just getting weird out there and, and like you said, donating to charity and things and that, obviously, you don't know. The whole thing about TikTok is you don't know what can happen. Like, you can, one day, you could be on a few thousand followers and the next day, it, you could just gone through the roof. So, anything... Yeah, my yeah, mate's just, one of my mates just gone up by about 30,000 followers in, in two days. In two days, he literally just overnight just absolutely hit off. I don't know what happened, but yeah, yeah, I think it's tough, and I think it's what they like, what they see if they like it, they'll post it. But linking to the army and linking to more the mental side of things, I'll, I'll, it's not a specific link, but it's sort of along the same lines of when people come out and go homeless. What, 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 what a way maybe the government could sort this out. It's a hard one. I don't really know the answer to that. It's it, it, the problem is is obviously there is things in place and there is charities out there, but some some don't want that help. Some feel stupid asking for that help. Like there is there is loads of military charities out there that will help. Like like um, the Royal British Legion, for example, that they they'll if you serve, you have to serve one day, I think, and they'll help you. And so they'll they're willing to fund you to go and do courses to get. So if I was homeless veteran and I went to say the British Legion. There's a possibility they'll then say, right, we'll put you on this course, we'll put you in this accommodation. But then once you've got a job, then you'll have to start paying for that accommodation, whatever, and get you, do you know, to get you on your feet. Yeah. There's loads of charities out there for homeless veterans. There's loads of them. It's just that whether they're willing to seek, seek the seek the help. Some of them just feel like that because you don't want to feel that degraded. Some people feel degraded to go and get that help. You shouldn't, but they do. I think what I've found about I would I would happily give people money who have served the country, of course, well, but you, you don't know, do you, if they're, they're, lying, they're lying or no, not. No. I think that's, that's, that's the issue no, that lot. you have. There's a, lot, there's a lot of waltz. Like, I've seen, I've seen like, quite a few in the papers where people are holding signs up saying X, 
uh, X army something and like a fake Reggie number and stuff trying to just because they, they know that it's a way to pull people's heartstrings saying you know t tours of Iraq and Afghanistan to try and get people to give them money and really they're not even homeless they were ever in the army but they just do it because it pulls on strings because like if I seen some homeless veteran I would help them but like they do that because they're just they're just doing it to try and pull on heartstrings because they know that a lot of people have have got some form of connection to the military whether it be family or whether you know, patriotism or whatever it might be a lot of people have some form of of respect for the military yeah i think like like you said you don't know so it is a problem and if if, if you knew people were genuine i think everyone would go off wouldn't they and help yeah. but, but you can't tell but what i want to no. say, ask you is when when you knew i don't i don't know like how exactly you left and things but was there a time when you knew like that maybe this is this is my last year or this is my last six months it was when it was when I was in Afghan. I was I'd I'd uh, I'd, I'd had enough. I'd uh, some things happened. I just I was just ready for a. Sorry, you want to go into that, but like too much. But I'd I just ready. I was ready for a change, and then, uh, yeah, and then I decided that was it. And and there were there were voluntary redundancies at the time, so this was perfect for me. So I volunteered, got accepted, and then got at least I got paid. I got a payout. Got all my resettlement, um, and then obviously came out. Yeah, so thanks for coming on anyway. It, it obviously it means a lot to us for, for you to come on and stuff, and we'll get you on again. So obviously, time's like cut you off both of us, so we'll get yeah, you on. Yeah, that's great. Thanks for having me.